Well, I'm taking uh, this month to speak to youth. It was the first message spoke to dads last week. And uh, we want to speak to women uh, in Titus 2 today. And uh, next week, we will begin uh, the 714 challenge that we'll be presenting to the church. And uh, as we uh, dedicate a 35-day period to prayer and uh We'll be trying to have different prayer groups and different prayer needs and uh, a season of waiting on God. You got anything that only God can do? Well, he said, uh, ask. You have not because you don't ask. And so we want to learn to get better at this asking situation. And so we'll begin that next week. But turn, if you will, to Titus chapter 2, and uh, look at what he says, verse 1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, talking to the pastor, Titus, on the island of Crete, teach what is sound doctrine, and then he begins to make practical applications. You know, it's one thing to be full of theology, it's another thing to be full of some practical wisdom. You know, uh, the Bible, sometimes we will hear this, well, uh, we become brand new creations in Christ. Is that true? And everything has become new. Old things passed away. All things become new. Now, that's a wonderful truth. Where's that found? 517. Okay, now, if that is true, why does God tell believers to stop lying? Everything passed away. Why does he tell them to stop fornicating? You don't have to tell new creations that, do you? Why do you tell them to submit? Why do you tell them don't be drunk, be filled with the Spirit? Why all this stuff? Guess what? Everything didn't change. Everything that you were in Adam, when you moved over to Christ, all that's new. New position, justified in Christ, that's brand new. But guess what? There's a whole lot of stuff God wants to change in us. And saving you begins the process, and what's scary is by the time you get it right, you're going to croak. Women, hold on. When he gets it right, he's going to have a heart attack. So keep him imperfect. He'll live a little bit longer. How long does it take God to teach someone to live godly? How long does it take him to give you victory over your temper, over your lust, over your uh, bad, eccentric ways, your, your temperament, whatever? So on one side, there's a glorious truth. We are changed people in Christ. I've got every spiritual blessing in Christ, no doubt about it. But yet I'm told to stop lying, quit going to bed angry, quit letting the devil have his way with me, stop walking after the flesh, walking. Hey, I'm in a process, put off, put on, put off, put on, and this is lifelong. So we're picking up practical doctrine that will happen, application, 
And uh, some men always want to be in the theological heights, but God is both theological and practical. And watch what he says now. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, now we have none in this church, but probably in this culture, a woman over 40 would qualify. Uh, people didn't live as long, so if you're over 40, whatever you call yourself, uh, likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled. Isn't this absurd to teach a woman to love her husband? Aren't we all lovely men? Well, go on. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. This is the purpose. It's a purpose clause that the word of God may not be reviled or made fun of, evil spoken of. When they watch your life, they're going to say, I've got a good opinion of the word of God about you, or I don't. And it's based on your life, not based on the preacher's sermon. Just the way you live. Now, I want to deal with what he deals with here in the home, but uh, what a challenge today uh, think of the American woman. What is she to be? I mean, all of the models. We've got feminists that uh, uh, have one model. Uh, you figure not until the 1900s did she get the right to vote. Uh, and then uh, she's been lobbying to get fair wages. If I do the same work, should I not be paid the same wages? That seems right, doesn't it? I mean, that's fair. That's just. But when you look at the modern-day woman and modern-day children, what's going on, since the Industrial Revolution in the, let's say, 1800s, then 1900s, uh, you had children that had no child labor laws. They worked 14 hours a day from the age of 12 in industry, uh, 14 hours a day. Women worked alongside of these children. Uh, and then you go along, and they made rules under Theodore Roosevelt that there ought to be some guidance to these children, some kind of minimum wage. And then you come along to World War II, and like never before, women went into the workplace and industry and building warships. My mother was down here with a rivet gun in Harbor Gate. Come on, she was in Richmond. She was Rosie the Riveter. I know. I don't know how she found time to get pregnant with me, but she did. And uh, uh, <clears throat> had a house full of five kids and a husband and, and uh, whatever. But women went to the workforce. Now 85% of American women work outside the home. 85%. And then you face this with children. Uh, listen to this. Finances. The cost of raising a child uh, I've heard quarter of a million dollars. Uh, who knows? Working mothers, 
uh, 85% in the working place, uh, public opinion about children. Uh, is it worth having? Uh, is it worth the sacrifice? If you had it to do over again, would you do it? Objectives. Uh, very few know what a good parent looks like anymore. What is a good parent? What does a good parent do? Permissive? Do you spank? Do you not spank? Uh, do you say no? Do you not? What, what do you do? What do we teach younger women? What do we, that, the family, the mom, and we'll all talk as old fogies how I was raised. Wait, wait, they're not being raised that way. How do we raise children? What do we do with them? Divorce, prevailing, prevailing. I mean, it's, uh, if you have a mom and dad in your life, you are richly blessed today. Abe Lincoln made a great statement. He said, he who has had a good mother is a rich man. Uh, how many kids in our culture have had neither a good mother nor a good dad? Matter of fact, I, I read the story last week of a boy that went into 10 foster homes. I don't know who my dad is. I don't know who my mom is. The only people that take care of me have to be paid a wage. Uh, drugs and alcohol. Uh, teens are involved in both death. The leading age category for suicide in our country is between 15 and 24. Between that age, we have more kids taking their lives in those age categories. Crime. At least one child out of nine will be incarcerated. Runaways. Girls running away, at least a million children a year flee their home, and many sell themselves on the streets of Oakland, Sacramento. We have a sex trade going with 14-year-old girls that you would not believe, and how to get them out of the paws of a pimp that will kill them is dangerous. But they're fleeing the home. I'd rather sell my body than to stay at home. This is millions of children, millions. Uh, abuse, never have we had so many children abused physically, sexually, emotionally. Illegitimacy, uh, it's off the charts. So today, young women are having children, whether married, unmarried, who's going to raise them, the single parent. It permeates our culture. We don't know how to roll the clock back. And then, no matter whether you're married or not, no time for the children we have. Uh, life is so busy in America, getting them to all the activities, school, sports, it goes on and on. John MacArthur uh, said the taboos that the culture are calling uh, taboos that we need to get rid of is, number one, there's absolutely no moral standards. Nothing's right or wrong. So, can I tell my kids premarital sex is wrong? If you say that, you're just prudish, you're out of step, times have changed. What gave you the authority to make that rule? Divorce is available on demand. Uh, gender battles that are going on, nobody's the head of a home. That's offensive language. So we have no one who specifically said to be in charge. Everybody's in charge. Nobody's in charge, including the children. Um, of course, women today, to be fulfilled, must work outside the home. 
uh, entertainment, TV in particular, it may not be as big as it used to be, but when you take the tech invasion of the home, I mean, between texting, phones, computers, TV, think of how much in your home at the time that could be talk time, dinner time, how much intrusion you've got from the outside world that permeates your home. It's just, it's everywhere. Here's an amazing thing. If you kill a baby seal for fur, it is criminal. Yet killing an unborn human infant for any reason whatsoever is defended as a matter of free choice. So a baby seal is worth more than an infant in the womb. Life begins in the womb. You don't have to be outside the womb to be alive. Right? I mean, they, when they, you've got little legs there, when you've got brains there, and we're actually cutting up parts in some procedures to get that baby out of the uterus, let me tell you, there's life there. There's a body there. Pornography makes more money in this country now than all of the Hollywood films in a year. There's more money being made seeing naked people on a screen by men and women than ever in our history, and the billions are rolling in to profiteers, racketeers, and guys that want to destroy your home and destroy your life. We've become a nation of dirty, lusting people, and they were quenching the thirst through pornography. So in the midst of this, you are a woman. How do I function? What's my role? What's my contribution? Let's look at what he tells an older woman to be that is a godly woman, a woman that knows Christ. We're not talking to people who do not know Jesus Christ. What should an older woman, you 40-year-olds plus, uh, what would he say about your life and behavior? He says four things. What your character ought to be. He said, first of all, she ought to be reverent in behavior. And the word there is used of being a priestess at a temple. That's where it came from. And the idea is you must be one that is engaged in sacred duties, the way you live your life. I, I am a servant of the Most High God. I fear him. I revere him. Uh, his, when you fear God in the Old Testament, it means two things. You revere him, and here's the other part, you obey him. You don't fear a God that you don't obey. You don't love a God you don't obey. That's just the biblical measurement. And so I fear the Lord. I, I revere him. By that you mean what? I do what he says. And so this older woman is known, I would say, in the community and in the church. She, she's serious about God. She's serious about God. She's not flippant. He's the first priority of her life. And whatever her, her life is about, God is first, and it just comes out. She takes God seriously in her walk. He goes on to say uh, she's not a slanderer. He said that of deaconesses in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, people like to talk. I hear women like to talk. 
And uh, uh, it's okay to talk. Men like to talk too. The issue is what we talk about. It's what we talk about. And uh, slander uh, is a word that comes from the word devil. And it's actually translated she-devil. Don't be a she-devil. Don't be a he-devil. And that is, when you slander, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He's going to be cast down someday, but slandering is talking down people, talking down people. Now, this is interesting. If you're taking God seriously, you would think you would talk about God. And once you move from God and you start in on people, unless you've got a word of encouragement, uh, some things are left better unsaid. True? You don't have to say everything you know about everybody. It's not everybody's business. Right? And uh, he says, a godly woman is known as one that does not slander does not talk down people. And uh, uh, you, you just watch, there's a proverb that says, where there's much speech, sin will not be lacking. That's scary. Uh, it's the subject matter because a favorite indoor sport of human beings is picking away at other people's faults and their flaws, and everybody's got them. And uh, the thing that's scary People who always talk negatively about other people usually do it to shelter their own faults. They're not dealing with their own. They're not looking in the mirror of the word. And you're talking about how homely, how ugly they are. And I'm going to say, have you looked in the mirror lately? Have you looked in the mirror? What would you want said to you if you had similar fault? A similar, similar flaw. So at least this woman, a godly woman, is known by what she says about others. And if it's negative, uh, you know, uh, it's like going to the funeral of a man and say, well, at least he was a good drunk. Well, did you need to say that? Did you need to say that? Some things we've got to learn, and it's men and women, but he points us out. She's not a slave to much wine. Uh, New Testament times, everybody drank wine. The wine as a whole of the common household was 2% alcohol, and it was good for them. Uh, They didn't have East Bay mud. They did not have water treatment plants. And so the water was contaminated normally. Alcohol was a great friend, even to tell Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach disorders. You need something to kill the amoeba, maybe. Uh, we have a lot of people opposed to wine, alcohol. They, they've come from that background. They've seen alcoholism, and they have all kinds of hang-ups. The Bible, truly, that culture, that every day you drank wine. It was the safest drink probably you could have. And so it was easy to drink more of it than you needed. And he's saying, be careful. It's okay to drink it, but don't be controlled by it. Then he says, they are to teach what is good. And uh, it's interesting, what is it they're supposed to teach? Uh, 
Do they teach uh, prophecy? Do they teach theology? Well, that's okay. That's wonderful. You can't miss on that. But it gives them seven practical areas that they ought to invest in a younger woman. Now, I, I think this is a great, great need in the church. Uh, as younger women come to faith, let's put in this church. I, what was fun in the early days of the church, everybody as a whole was under the age of, uh, for sure, 30. Many under the age of 25. And that's when I taught the most on the family. They were getting married. They were starting. And I was an expert. I was 27. You know, Deborah was two. So, you know, it was easy. And they, they, had, they didn't know what a Christian home was. They came out of sin, came out of, what's a Christian home? I don't know what the template looks like. I don't know what a Christian woman, ought to, I mean, uh, you talk about immodest dress, you, you'd be amazed at how they dressed. Uh, you'd be amazed at how many homosexuals came there and how they dressed. It was okay. By the way, when people come here, if they have an odd dress, uh, please don't address them. They're welcome to come. They're, okay. They're welcome to come. Uh, we'll love them until God cleans them up. But see, church isn't, and, and the amen was so weak. You, you know, most of you say, well, 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 you know, you, man, I don't want you to our church. You don't look clean enough. No, because we don't welcome sinners. You, you got to be cleaned up, honey. You got to be a saint. You got to look like one. No, you don't. No, you don't. You heard the bishop say it. Come in here like you are. We don't care. God loves you like you are and can change you. Don't go around saying, do this and do that. You know? Don't. It's wrong. It's not your place. Who authorized you to do that? Sometimes we'll have people come in here, guys wearing a hat. Should they? No. What are we going to do? We're just going to keep loving them. Their problem isn't their hat. Their problem is their heart. Could you love a guy wearing a hat? Oh, get over it, you self-righteous Pharisees. Can you love sinners? Are sinners comfortable around you? Save sinners. And many young people don't feel it, especially as Christians get a little bit older, they're real critical of young people. Right, young people? We ought to be loving this group. We ought to be loving a younger woman gets married, struggles. Hey, you shouldn't be having the struggle. You ought to have it all together. I came from a bad home. I don't know what Christian women ought to look like, act like, or do. Where do I learn it? Well, you won't learn it here. We're going to tell you how bad you are. No, 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 no. God forbid. God forbid. Because we got too many gracious women just waiting to help another woman. How I thank God for our women who work with our young people, young ladies in our youth group. Come on, when a girl's over there, menses begins, pimples begin, uh, sex begins at 14 or 15. Hey, they don't need to talk to our men. They need to talk to a godly woman. And thank God for you women that are helping our young people. Thank you. This is what you ought to teach them. Seven things. 
train young women to love their husbands. This seems like that is ridiculous. Don't, don't you know, Lord, who I am? Maybe that's why she has to be taught. Uh, now, remember, many marriages were arranged. Another thing, there was no courtship in these times as a whole. There was not courting. See, that's what's tough in teaching. The most vulnerable time for our young people is when they start dating. You know why? There's no Bible for how to date. They didn't date. It was arranged. You got married, and uh, the marriage was consummated, and then you learn to love what your folks arranged. You hadn't even perfected your kiss yet. And all of a sudden, he said, teach these women to love their husbands. And the word for love here is not erotic. It's not physical love. It's not sexual love. It's defined pleasure in. It's the word phileo. We get Philadelphia. Teach them to find pleasure in their husband. And it's the word for friendship. Let them learn to make their husband their friend and not their enemy. Um, and uh, that, that's the struggle because after the honeymoon, can I like who I'm married to? The fun part is perfecting your kiss. The tough part is liking who you're married to. I remember my brother Paul giving me wise counsel. We were painting a house together. Uh, I was trying to get money to get married on, and we were there. And one day we were painting this huge house, and uh, we were talking, and he said, well, uh, let me tell you the dirty facts of life. And I said, goody, get with it. About to get married, I need my older brother to be my mentor. Tell me. He said, are you ready? I said, I'm ready. Bring it on. He said, the dirty facts of life is the rent is due on the first. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I thought he had a secret grip, you know, secret hole. You know, no, 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 no. Can you afford the guy you want to kiss on? Can you pay the rent? Woo! When you start that, uh, now the honeymoon evaporates quickly. It really does. Rent, clothes. I got to wash his clothes. I got to have his children. I got to cook his meals. I got to be there, do this, all of that. He said, teach her to find pleasure in her husband. How older women do that? I don't know all that they would say, but at least it would assume that she was a happily married woman. Can you be godly and still happily married? Are you grousing all the time about your marriage? Do you always run down your husband? Does everybody know your business? See, are you the greatest fan of your husband or the greatest critic? So teach them to love their husbands. Dress for your husband, not for other men. And if you want to knock out date night, don't come that way to church, honey. I don't need to see your breast. 
I don't need to smell all that high-powered perfume. Save that for him. Come here modestly. Draw no attention to your body. We have to teach women that. We had to teach them in the early days. We avoid a lot of it because we don't want to be legalistic. But think, when you come here, we want to draw attention to how great our God is, not ourselves. So, I mean, that's why, uh, right? Uh, It's even men. I toned down a lot because of my physique. (laughs) You know, I just don't want to be a distraction to you. (laughs) And so I try to go like that. Sunk in everything. Uh, So learn that. Then he goes on and says something else. Love your five children. I mean, love. I think both of my grandmothers had 10 children. I would just say to her, love your children. Love them. I can't remember their names. <laughs> Take care of 10 children, huh? Without running water, without a refrigerator, without a microwave. Do that. Do that in a log cabin and one burned down so they had to move to the chicken coop to make it through the winter. Friend, uh, Teach them to love their children. And uh, Now, there's a danger of pouring all your affection on children and neglecting the husband. There's got to be a balance. But can you imagine this woman uh, going through uh, sleep deprivation? Who knows how many children, hours, the baby's sick, a lot of diapers, a lot of distractions. Uh, who knows what came from the womb, what the temperament is, colic, all these things. Does a woman have a right to be overcome with a child? Absolutely. Would it not be something for an older woman to say, Honey, it won't always be this way. Uh, God will give you strength. He got me through. He'll help you. Uh, Have you thought of this? Just practical, godly advice. To help her not want to choke them, but to say, No, this is normal. Discouragement. Um, hard days. And so teach her uh, how to love them. You know, children are starving for genuine affection. And many homes in America show no affection. It's like, we can't wait till you leave or you're the truant officer. Don't do that. Do this. Get out of here. Uh, Do we, both men and women, do we show any love to the ones we're raising? Uh, I believe in the rod, but I don't believe in calling them names. I don't believe in boxing them. I don't mean embarrassing them in front of other peers. No. The rod was intended primarily for older uh, young men. They'd be young men as a whole. But sometimes short-term pain can give you a long-term gain. See? And and, and they're made right here for it. They can take it. They can take it. We're not talking about boxing, bruising, abusing. That's the bad press on it. God's not a brutal God. He's not an evil God. And uh, he said, raise those children. How many times did you say no to them? It's it's tough. And he's saying, older women? And I've never seen that ministry in this church. I've never seen many older women have that burden to come alongside a younger woman, and teach her how not to lose her sanity. 
while she's raising children and adjusting to a husband. Just think in Bible times as a whole, you got married and you had your first baby within the first 12 months. So you immediately have children and that adjustment. He goes on and said, tell them how to be self-controlled. And that means uh, to be sensible, keep their senses about them. Uh, and so he said, teach them to do that. Uh, and then it goes on and says, teach them to be pure. And the word purity here is the idea of moral purity. Uh, it's amazing how many uh, women are in internet affairs today. They're on the internet. Uh, they're, they're even into pornography. But uh, you can get into novels that uh, glorify uh, adultery. And you can be caught up in that. Your mind, stay pure at heart. Stay pure in your body. Uh, you know, here's the myth. And, and uh, I'm not saying anything new. And, and these young people take notes on it. So many of us said, boy, once I get married, there'll be no more temptation. The laughter is, mm-mm. Especially when you put women in the workforce and they're working around other men and the men are working around other women. I mean, and when you're with them 40 hours a week, you're with them more in the best hours of the day more than your husband. Because by the time you fall through the door at night and you look like you've been blowing in the wind, and he says, oh, my lover, says that's the wrong word. Say you're a sleeper. Uh, I want to be snow white tonight. Leave me alone. I want to go to sleep. Say, why aren't you fresh? You're not like you were when we courted. Say, no, I wasn't pregnant. I wasn't on a job. And I wasn't living with you. I was happy. I was optimistic. Now I have you. And I'm whatever. Fill in the blank. But guess what? Temptations for the opposite sex don't stop with marriage. No, no. Wish it did. You still have to behave. And, and, and women... Uh, Stop flirting once you get married. Flirt with him. Don't flirt with them. Flirt with him. I know you're artistic. You caught him with your ability. <laughs> and all that stuff. You know, you, you knew. You caught him. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you got the catch. And, and, and there's those low points in marriage. After the second child, they say, Romance usually dies in a marriage. It has to start all over. I mean, uh, she's thinking, the last time we were romantic, I got pregnant again. Now I got two children. I, my time is taken up. And so the struggle to be pure and not fantasize, ooh, I, man, I wish we could date like we used to. If I could meet a guy that whine and dine me, take me out on Friday night, sweep me off, but good night, I'm home Friday night, this is wash night, he's going to come in, he's going to turn on the football game, and he's going to say, be quiet, and, and this is not exciting. It's like that thing I always say, the last time the guy saw any sparkle in his wife's eye was the night the electric blanket shorted out. <laughs> well, y you know, uh, you just, married life gets kind of mm, mm, dull. 
It's not always a big high sparks and this and that. No, no, no. You're not weird. You, you haven't fallen out of love. You, hey, you're just adjusting to life and its demands. It's not every day of 4th of July. Not at all. Then he says something every woman in our culture loves to hear. She must be a worker at home. Just what she wanted to hear. Listen to what the Jewish woman did in the home in biblical times. She um, kept the house, grind the flour, like many of you, bake, bake, what's that? Launder. Now, this was not with throw it Maytag. It's probably down on a rock in a stream, um, you know, I, I think it's bad enough when they had the old scrub boards. Anybody remember scrub boards? And your mama used in soap and doing all that. Uh, cook, nurse children, make the beds, spin wool. You know, keep her busy. Keep the house. And was also responsible for hospitality and the care of guests. Now, let's say four people come in on them, and uh, they want to do their best. Do you go to the fridge and say, ooh, let's pull out a filet? Oh, let's pull out some food. No, 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 no. Go. We got to kill the animal. We got to dress it. I got to cook it over an open fire. Oh, put it in the microwave? Are you kidding? The bread? Uh, they, they didn't have uh, Wonder Loaf. No, no, no. You, you, you baked it. You, you, everything's from scratch. And we got four others to feed besides my husband, the children. Oh, yeah. And by the way, put in 40 hours down here for IBM. Couldn't do it. No refrigeration, no butchered meat, no manufactured clothes. I mean, wow. And when you read the Proverbs 31 woman, she was a strong woman. She did a little bit of everything. She invested. She took care of a garden. She made her husband a winner in the marketplace. This woman was so engaged. Let me tell you, there's no time to get bored. There was no afternoon soaps. There was no afternoon, in, no technology. She was demanded of. Now, here's the issue. If the woman is taken out of the home 40 hours a week, like 85% of you are, who does take care of the home? Uh, what do we do? Do we have a home? Uh, and I think what I've seen, men, many men have stepped up, and, and you're noble, and I think we need to. If this woman of yours is working 40 hours, and you have children, helping get them to games, helping do this, helping do that, come on, the plate is so full and overloaded. If anything, the modern-day woman deserves a nervous breakdown. She is loaded. She is loaded. I have daughters. I know they're loaded. They are doing more than I, I can imagine. It, it's an amazing thing. But let me say, husband, wife, however you work it out, there's nothing like a home for children. There's nothing like eating your meals together. Uh, we always ate our meals together. We found out more about life at the dinner table than we ever wanted to know because we ate with our children. 
Uh, I was just uh, with, uh, Carol and I were with Tara C., Kathy's uh, precious girl back in Chicago. We met her at Moody Bible Institute, and uh, bless her heart, she wanted to take us to dinner, and it was joy. She's married now, has two children, grew up in this church, and we had people help her go through Moody. And there she was. She's as sweet as she can be. And she comes up, she hugs us both, and she does like this. Ah, oh, it smells just like your house. And I thought, <laughs> you know, uh, that I, does. There was one, she said, oh, I remember the odors in your house. I thought, she said, the freshness, whoo, good. And, and she said, I, I, it, you just remind me of it. I used to do that when my dad died. If I hugged one of his brothers, I could smell my dad. That's weird. But I could. And she was just, I, I, I'm on Elm Drive with you and Carolyn now. Because she, Sarah Wilson, Jill Taylor would come. Uh, let's see, the Barker children. Especially, I remember cold days. If the rain was coming, the mother was working, the Barker home. Carolyn would take them to the house. There'd be cookies. There'd be somebody home. Just somebody home. And those girls, they've seen us at times. And, oh, we love being at your house. Somebody was home. And I tell you, it meant so much to me for little Tara to be saying that. Her father became addicted to alcohol, and there was pain in the home. Kathy was having a tough time. And to have that girl find a place of refuge. Come. See, today, people aren't used to hospitality. They're saying, I'll meet you at a restaurant. And a restaurant isn't as warm as your home. It's just not. And he said, keepers at home, somebody, who plans the meals? Burger King? Uh, who plans to be there? Uh, you can't escape this if you want a home. Do you want a home, or do you want it just a garage where you change clothes? You just keep going. So he said, pay attention to that home. And uh, told her to be kind, and the word kind here means to be uh, beneficial to others. Her, her character benefits them. Then he ends up by saying, and by the way, teach younger women to submit to their husbands. Now, if you're a mad wife, if you're a bitter woman, if you're not godly and you haven't worked that out, you're the last woman to be teaching a young woman because you're going to pass on that bitterness, that hostility, and those issues that maybe you never resolve. But he said, a godly woman ought to teach a younger woman, submit to your husband. It's best for you. It's God's plan. Uh, it's not anti-feminine. It's not anti-worth. Because submission in the Bible was taught to all of us. We're all to submit to government. We're to submit to elders in the church. I mean, submission is a Christian virtue. It's, it's not subjugation. Submission doesn't happen when you're rebelling and you don't want to. You haven't submitted. You, you may be subordinate. You may be subjected, but you haven't submitted. Submission is the Lord has already won the battle in my heart. I'm going to do this 
as unto the Lord. Ephesians 5, 21, 1 Peter 3, likewise women submit as Christ submitted to the Father. It's all over the Bible. It's not a male chauvinistic doctrine. It's the Heavenly Father's teaching for you. Not a chauvinistic God. God created you in his image. And submission, if submission is inferiority, God the Son is inferior. He submitted to the Father all the way. And you read 1 Peter, Christ is the model of submission. And if you're not submissive, you're in rebellion to your Father. I don't expect you to submit to me when you don't love God. And when you love God, even an imperfect person you can submit to. It didn't say submit because you're afraid of your husband. And men, men, please, do not mess with a woman who is submitting. If you say you better do it if you know it's good for you. If you strip any motivation from her that she's doing this because of her love for Christ and you take credit, God will deal with you. That's wrong. This is a sacred thing to submit because you love the Savior. Don't don't tamper with that. You're reaping the benefit of her love of Christ. You're getting the benefit, right? I married such a woman. I get the benefit of her love of Christ. And man, I can't tell you how many benefits that brings. Well, uh, he says, do all this that the word of God will not be blasphemed. Let me ask you some questions in closing. Are you a godly older woman? I'm just asking. I don't know. Are you? We sure need them. Younger women are crying for your help. Are you investing in younger women? On what level are you? Uh, sign up in the back. Uh, are you willing to counsel women? Are you willing to work in our youth group and help us with these precious girls that are coming along and becoming young ladies? Who's there to talk to them? Maybe their mom's not a believer. Maybe their dad's not a believer. Can they meet a godly woman who will be kind to them? By the way, older folks, try, try to stay attractive to young people. Don't be, I love Jesus. And, and, and when you get older, take care of yourself. Don't learn to get ugly. My girls used to say when they were young, are there any pretty Christian women? Or is ugly in? I mean, kind of beautify yourself. If the barn needs paint, paint it. You know? Uh, and you young women, don't be showing off your body. I heard a great word from E.K. Bailey who said, if the house is not for sale, take down the sign. <laughs> Don't be selling your body. Don't sell your body. There's too many predators and wolves out there that will use you in a minute and ruin you. Don't you do it. Your body belongs to the Lord. You, you say, I, my body is yours, Lord. I ask you, are you willing to invest in precious women fighting to find their way? And younger women, I would say to you, the Lord won't put more on you than you can bear. Sometimes I want to ask you, are you putting more 
that he intends. Be sure you're, you're loaded, children, wife, and, and you know, and then at, at 9.30 you turn into the love bunny of the month. No, no, wait. Wait, you turn into Sister Haggard. Say, so I'm done in. I'm the burnout light bulb in the billboard of life. I'm shocked. Why? Where is that romance we used to have? That job I just finished. And that check that we just bought the new car, send the kid to college, just bought you that new boat. And that's where it is. It's trade-offs. Sister exhausted can't be the playmate of the month. Wake up, men. Help them. Share the load. Don't let her crash. Don't let her lose heart. Help her when those babies come. And my son-in-laws, I've seen them do it. They've changed more diapers than I ever did in my lifetime. You men are, I mean, I don't know where they got the grace to do it, but they've got the grace to do it. They've done it. Me, I was called to the word. I, I might as well hush. I'm done. Let's stand. Let's stand. Come on, I'm over time. I'm in trouble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is so practical. It touches every area of our life. Not only how to know you and wonderful theology and doctrine, even the nitty-gritty, the practical areas that a dear young woman is to be taught. Please raise up godly women, older, mature women, to put their arms around our younger women and not let them stray, let them lose heart. All that we had women of age that would care enough to put their arm around that younger woman, young mother, young wife, whatever. Please, may this church be an encouragement to young people. May we put our arms around them and say, you're going to make it. God's got us through. He'll get you through. We pray in Jesus' name. And do this. Shake hands with a woman and say, I'm glad God made you a woman.